EMS One Academy, a training solution designed for EMS chiefs, offers more than 200 courses and 250 hours of continuing education. Our modern learning solution includes flexible reporting capabilities and features to upload agency-specific courses and track credentials for recertification. Easily streamline daily administrative workflow with EMS One Academy. Start your free trial. Visit www.emsoneacademy.com slash inside EMS. Okay, it's Friday. We all know that Friday brings us inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sabalero. With me always is my good friend, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. The ladies know he's the man with the power, KG Kelly Grayson. KG, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm I'm uh, a little sunburned, a little windburned, and uh, my, my career satisfaction batteries are slowly getting recharged. That's awesome. Been turning a lot of amp- been turning a lot of ammunition into smoke and noise this weekend and about to uh, leave right after we get through recording and, and do some more of the same so it's hunting season isn't it you're going down to uh, uh do a little hunting yeah i just got through with uh blogorado our, our yearly um uh shooting weekend in colorado and uh now i'm headed to texas to do a little deer hunting so we leave just a little bit well i hope you have a good time please stay safe uh, it's going to be boring of course. me talking to you without you being here. Uh, so make sure you come <laughs> back for next week's show. But, uh, you know, Kelly, we haven't done it in a long time. And uh, we, you know, we've tried to be a little bit more um, topic related. But there's just a lot of things that are going on in the news that I think is really kind of uh, important to EMS. And uh, we'll hit a couple of these news stories and we'll kind of talk about them to see how it impacts us as a career field. But uh, why don't you go ahead and give us our first story? Um, I, I think it's, uh, given what's been going on, uh, lately, uh, that, a, a feel good story would be nice. Um, and in so doing, let's go to Long Branch, New Jersey, where an ER nurse was proposed to by her boyfriend who arrived in an ambulance with a fake emergency. He, uh, um, Tom Ciancia, uh, faked a peanut, uh, allergy and had uh, and apparently enlisted the paramedics, and uh, they brought him to the hospital where his uh, girlfriend, Lauren, truly works, uh, and he proposed to her there. So, yes, yeah, uh, quite the surprise. She said, uh, oh, my God, and uh, after seeing him on the, uh, on the stretcher, and uh, he pretends to get off the stretcher and stumble around, then he gets down on one knee and pulls out a ring. Um, I wonder just how often paramedics and, and ems people are, are just like super creative like that with just a little bit of twisted you know because there's nothing nothing that says i love you i want to spend the rest of my life with you like scaring the living daylights out of you before you propose you know? i mean how crazy is that story man that's i mean you have to get a lot of people involved to make that work but people are starting to become a little bit more creative when it comes to you know wedding proposals and you know, so I guess EMS had to be involved. I guess the, you know, the hospital had to get involved in something like this. And uh, yeah, but Elmer I don't know if this first aid squad helped him out there. I don't know that this is the first uh, how you want to start your uh, relationship, uh, but man, that's very very creative. Well, let me ask you something, Chris. How did you propose to your wife? Oh my goodness! Um, most creative thing that I ever did was when I proposed to my high school sweetheart. 
we were having a family dinner and my mom took the ring and she actually opened a box of Cracker Jack and took the Cracker Jack out, opened the prize, put the ring inside it, closed it, and then put the Cracker Jack back in the box. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so after dinner, um, and she kind of knew something was going to happen because we had talked about getting married when I came back from basic training. So this is about the time I was 19 years old. And uh, so after dinner, we uh, had cracker jack and she opened it and when she opened the ring she laughed she's not like how ironic is this so then i took the ring and i said you know in front of my family i'm asking you to marry me and it was very very romantic i guess that's so, that's so sweet man yeah that's sweet i didn't know you had it in you chris oh i didn't i mean my mom did so it was her idea so <laughs> i was ni- i was 19 years old man i didn't know any better but uh so i just wake up in the morning and i, I wake up in the morning and tell nancy uh we'll get married this time she keeps turning me down i don't know what i'm doing wrong man you want me to put in a new uh, a good word for you? Yeah, maybe we need to. Maybe I need to, to try the Cracker Jack thing, and, and uh, that'll that'll be the thing that that finally convinces her. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll work. We'll figure it out. You know, if you have any creative ways out there for uh, Kelly to ask Nancy to marry him, uh, go ahead and send it to the show at ems one dot com. I think that would be really cool if we could get the listeners involved, and uh, we'll see, man. Maybe we'll do that. We'll try to work on that as uh, maybe a twenty eighteen goal for you. How's that? Yeah, we'll we'll do that. So my story is going to go back to um, Puerto Rico. And I've been oh, concerned yeah. about this story, Kelly, you know, because it seems that there are challenges that are going on down there in Puerto Rico. And, you know, the story is uh, says why states took so long to dispatch disaster aid to Puerto Rico. And, you know, I, I, and you hear the news that, uh, you know, one person is saying that it's challenging. Other people are saying they have what they need. But I still feel that as a as a you know United States territory, we should have been able to take care of this a little bit better <laughs> than we did. You know, as we did in uh, Texas, as we did in uh, Florida, and uh, you know, I'm hoping that one day in my uh, you know, in my lifetime, we get to see what statehood is about, where Puerto Rico becomes an official state. But, you know, anything that we have, um, you know, where we have responsibility for a country as a territory, we've got to make sure that we're right there, Johnny, on the spot, as if it was the state right next, yeah. next to us. So I'm really concerned about the people that don't have electric. You know, these are people that have uh, medical conditions that need machines, Um And it just kind of gives me a little bit of pause to say, um, why do people have to suffer when we have all the resources that we have in the United States? You know, I, I, and the the story has it that, that the, uh, or the, um, president of the national emergency management association, Mike Sprayberry, uh, stated that, um, uh, there were some concerns about Puerto Rico's ability to repay the state's, uh, for their assistance, but they also said they were, you know, they were much slower than Texas and Florida to make its first formal request. Um, I'm wondering if, if you know, uh, Puerto Rico being a, a uh, territory rather than a state, um, if the the infrastructure or the process for for um, uh, asking for aid wasn't, you know, wasn't as uh, robust or if there wasn't a formal policy in, in doing that. And they had to kind of figure it out on the fly. Um, but in any case, uh, 
it would seem that that um, they were a little slower asking for aid than than uh, than other states, and and some were uh, were reluctant to uh, to dispatch aid on their own without knowing how they would eventually be reimbursed for that. I heard from a uh, a, a person in the know who uh, <clears throat> said that. Uh, I don't know whether this was in Puerto Rico or in some of the states that were were mobilizing uh, uh, rescue uh, resources, but uh, there was a, a fairly large uh, truck driver strike, which is one reason um, uh, a lot of supplies weren't getting uh, getting sent from distribution points in a timely fashion. So um, yeah, that's kind of interesting. But let me ask you this question: I mean. You know, we've went through this before, Katrina, Rita, mm-hmm. you know, we've got Harvey, we've got Irma. When we know that these, you know, places, or even in this case, Kelly, I mean, if we know that some of these states, I mean, you, you're you down there on the Gulf Coast as well, shouldn't we have yeah. distribution centers already in place that we, we know? Should. You know what I mean? So what is it we that should. we're learning from these disasters? I mean, a couple of weeks ago on the show, we were talking about, you know, the Las Vegas shooting, and we were saying that, you know, it, it, you know, we should be able to take this blueprint and put it on Main Street, USA, and whatever you know, city you're in and say, okay, this just happened on the corner of X and X and you're the EMS leader or whatever it is. How do you handle this? Well, it, it doesn't seem like we're learning from the lessons that we, you know, that we're learning from these natural disasters that we're still having challenges all these years later after uh, Katrina of taking care of the citizens of, uh, you know, areas of natural disaster. Well, you know, the first thought that occurs to me is that um, uh, the federal government is a, is a pretty big bureaucracy to, to get the uh, wheels rolling. It moves rather ponderously. Uh, and secondly, um, we uh, it being government doesn't really know how to do things very efficiently. Um, the Walmart and Target, for example, you know, were able to mobilize resources that had the infrastructure, the distribution points, uh, the transportation system and everything to get supplies to to those areas for Harvey and Irma uh, and, and help the citizens of Texas and, and Florida. I've heard a good friend of mine has said in the past, and I, I kind of starting to agree with him, that uh, rather than than do this ourselves, we might might be better off just contracting one of the major big bo- or several of the major big box stores uh, for um, disaster assistance. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, that's and an farm interesting that concept. out because yeah. because Target, Walmart, grocery store chains, Costco. those sort of things. Costco, yeah, Sam's Club. Those guys have the distribution points in place. They have the the transportation infrastructure and the personnel uh, and, and a fairly sophisticated. Uh, system for tracking all this to get it where it needs to go. You know, I, I doubt we'd see the 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 stupidity of you know sending a tractor trailer full of ice uh, like it was done in, in Hurricane uh, Katrina uh, to sit on the side of the road and melt. <laughs> you know that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, Gary has often said that that uh, yeah we should contract out the. Uh, uh, the supply distribution and stuff to the major big box stores uh, and the evacuation uh, to FedEx. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, you know, man. If you had a because FedEx can track a package, FedEx, UPS, they can track a package all over the world. Um, you just you just assign every person you evacuate a tracking number, and you know where they went, which was a major problem, you know, after Katrina. That's right. Yeah, getting them out of there and and knowing where everyone was 
everyone went and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, and I know. was on that. I was on that receiving point in Texas as these as the Katrina folks were coming to Texas, and you know there were a lot of people that they didn't even uh, they weren't even registered on the other side that they had left yeah. the state. And, yeah, yeah so same right, with a, same with Louisiana. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But uh, you know, but, I think as soon as as soon as the government says, or the cities say, or the states say, mandatory evacuation there should be things moving into place. I mean, yeah. and you and I both know people, Kelly, who were immobilized from the ambulance side, you know, down to Irma and Harvey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we were even watching that because some of the folks here in St. Louis, and I'm trying to uh, work to get uh, some of these folks on the show to talk about the, you know, the challenges, successes, and failures of that mobilization. You know, they went from St. Louis to Texas first, and then as Irma was getting ready to come through, they, you know, were headed across to Tallahassee and they were staged in Tallahassee for the longest time. And then by little by little, they inched them into, you know, deeper into Florida. Well, if we know that we're doing that for medical purposes, don't you think mm-hmm. we should be doing that with water and rations and, you know, those types of things? And uh, anyway, I mean, I think we're belaboring the point, but I think we have to do a better job of planning after all these years. Most- we most definitely do, and, and I think the thing we need to keep in mind, uh, above all else, these are our citizens. You know, it's a, it's a U.S. territory and protectorate, but these are Puerto Ricans are our citizens. This is not some foreign country uh, that, oh, gosh, that's a shame. Right. Thoughts and prayers to the people of Puerto Rico. No, this is, this is America. Right. You know, we don't leave Americans just suffering like that. We try to help them rebuild and, and, right. and get back on their feet. Even if the, the state is bankrupt right now, um, you know, we, we've got a responsibility to these people. So, you know, and I think that, you know, uh, just thinking about this though, I mean, the thing that really caught me is, I mean, we are taking for granted, Kelly, that you and I are sitting in a nice, warm place. You know, we've got, mm-hmm. we've got coffee, we've got food, we've got our possessions. You know, if, if this hurricane or a tornado just, just totally, you know, devastates, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I have? And, you know, I think we, we forget that. I mean, the, the wildfires that are going on right now out in, you know, California, I mean, these people are losing. There was a guy walking down the street yesterday on the news carrying his mailbox because that was all that was left of his, of his home. Jeez. And you know what I mean? So I, I think mm-hmm. we have to really find the compassionate side of these uh, uh, natural disasters. And I just couldn't imagine losing everything and then having nothing. Yeah. What do you got yeah, next for us? Man, I've got a couple, a couple more feel good stories because that's that's what I'm. I love focus it. When, on I love when time. you make me feel good. Well, no, no, no never mind, never mind. Uh, that's, would, uh, no comments, please. No comments. You, hey, what happens in what happens in the studio stays in the studio. Chris. So I was thinking of this, but how about you having Nancy come to one of your talks and asking her to marry you as part of the curriculum? Oh, that would be that would be kind of cool. All right, so I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. All right. Okay, so we got a couple uh, feel-good stories, one from Bartow, Florida, and another one from Milford, Connecticut. In Bartow, Florida, a man was saved by his coworkers after suffering cardiac arrest uh, while operating a forklift. Um, uh, Jimmy Weeks uh, apparently coded uh, at at his uh, place of employment, Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits, and his friends were, were trained to provide CPR and use an AED. Uh, and managed to save his life. And, you know, we're, we're, 
we've learned in in recent years that the best the the way we're going to improve cardiac arrest survival is not necessarily by augmenting the capabilities of the EMS system, um, but by crowdsourcing CPR and defibrillation and making sure that citizens are, are trained and equipped to do this sort of thing. And here's a success story. You know, Jimmy Weeks probably would not be alive uh, were it not for uh, his coworkers Walter Navarez, Mark Bradley, and, and Chris Herveling, uh, and um, uh, kudos to those guys, man. Welcome to the, welcome to the life-saving community. Uh, it's got to feel good to, uh, to be able to do that for another human being. I know, I know it feels good for us as EMS providers, even though we may get jaded at it. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine how, uh, how, um, good a feeling it must be to do this as a lay provider who's, who's not, uh, tasked with doing that sort of thing on a regular basis. You know, and I think we really have to take as EMS, we've got to take more of a stance in this as well. I mean, we, we do a great job of doing community CPR. We do a great job of training AEDs, you know, but some EMS systems for best practices is what they're doing is, is they're listing AEDs. They're asking people to register their AEDs and with the dispatch center. And one of the things that that's doing is if the patient's in suspected cardiac arrest, and I think we got to change our whole dispatch protocol as well. I mean, I'm kind of getting off uh, topic here where I wanted to go. But, you know, when you go to the Resuscitation Academy up there in Seattle, and those are the people that are doing, uh, you know, have incredible return of spontaneous circulation uh, percentages, is, you know, they ask two questions. Uh, you know, is the patient breathing? You know, and when the answer is no, they said, all right, start CPR. So regardless of that, it's just automatic start CPR. So I think that that's one thing that has to change in the dispatch process. But the, the point that I was getting at is the EMS systems that are asking organizations that have AEDs to register them with the dispatch center. And then if they suspect that someone's yeah. in cardiac arrest, they say, okay, if you go three doors down, there's an AED, go run down there and get it and bring it back, you know, kind of thing. And I think yeah. that if we're able now to kind of track those AEDs, you know, you talked a little bit before about tracking, you know, uh, patients in the natural disaster. Mm -hmm. If we could track the AEDs and if we can send people down there to, to get them, we might be able to make a difference when it comes to this. And, uh, you know, I think that that's just one thought. But I think that EMS has to be the center of central focus of making this change in our community. I mean, we have dismal. We have embarrassing return of spontaneous circulation rates, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. I got to one of my positions, and they had a they had a three percent return of spontaneous circulation rate, and uh, that's just unheard of. And in the job that we have as uh, you know uh, care providers, we got to do mm -hmm. better than that. And uh, yeah. I don't know that we are. Yeah, well, we aren't, but but uh, enlisting the the aid of the citizenry is is probably the way to go about it. But the uh, the second feel good story is comes out of Milford, Connecticut, uh, and it's a, a bit of a cool zebra story as well. Um, a woman working at a periodontist office, Andrea Bertis Velez, uh, was saved uh, from coding twice by uh, three AMR employees. Uh, came to work and was suffering from from uh, symptoms that are pretty indicative of ischemic chest pain, you know. And she did the typical thing: uh, it's just heartburn or it's something I ate. And, and that sort of thing. Uh, but she gets to work at New Haven Dental Group, and the periodontist she worked for told her, you look like uh, death on a cracker. Lay down. Let me call 911. Uh, and when the paramedics got there, they did a 12 lead and said, uh, ma'am, you're, you're having a heart attack. Uh, but the interesting thing was is, is that um, 
her heart attack was not because of uh, of uh, uh, thrombus or, or blockage of any kind in her uh, coronary arteries. It's, it turns out that she was suffering from spontaneous coronary artery dissection, and her right coronary artery uh, was uh, was torn in half, and her left coronary artery had a, a fairly small tear. Uh, and she was having an MI because of those conditions, uh, and getting her downstairs from the uh, from the uh, uh, her workplace to the ambulance. She coded twice. Both times, the AMR crew got her back uh, and got her to the hospital, and they were able to uh, to um, reperfuse her and and uh, repair what little damage or what damage they could. And she's now getting to uh, to meet those those three AMR employees and say thank you. And man, you know that's the that's the fairy tale we all hope for you know so we get a chance to to meet one of our our saves and uh and get that big thank you you know that's <laughs> uh the, their rescue 911 birthday party moment you know um and uh strong work to those amr employees that were able to uh to save this woman not once but twice uh from coding and and uh and to the the periodontist as well called 911 it's pretty pretty cool uh cool tale yeah and i think that uh you know, when you hear these stories, you know, it does give you that feel good feeling. Have you ever met, you know, anyone that you've resuscitated and, uh, you know, after you've saved and they've wanted to come back and meet you? Yeah, a, a couple of times. Um, not as often as you might think. I, I don't, uh, I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten my 911 birthday moment or anything like that or nothing planned that was, uh, uh, that we, you know, had a PR opportunity from. Uh, once a, a woman knocked on the door of the ambulance station uh, and brought cookies, uh, and, and we were like, "Thanks, ma'am. Who took care of you?" And she said, "Well, you did." <laughs> and I said, "I didn't remember her. Um, it had been so long, but she had uh, she'd gone into cardiac arrest at the wheel of her car mm. uh, and and plowed into uh, a schoolyard. Didn't hurt anybody, thank God. She was going fairly slowly, um, but." Uh, as we arrived on scene, we realized that you know this was not a, a car accident. She had she coded at the wheel, and managed to get her back. And she uh, she got out of the hospital. Um, she she didn't have the opportunity apparently uh, immediately after to thank us, but uh, she uh, was driving by the ambulance uh, station one day and, and just spontaneously thought, you know, I really need to go thank those guys. So she baked cookies and came back and helped us catch us in the station a year or two after the event. Mm. Um, and I've had a few of those. Uh, I've also had a chance, you know, working in small town EMS, you also have the opportunity to uh, uh, to see those people that you you've uh, helped on a fairly regular basis. Um, so, uh, that's one of the beauties of working in rural EMS or working in small towns. You, you're working on neighbors. So, yeah. um, you know, I get a lot of thank you that way. Yeah. I could tell you in all my years of doing EMS, I've never had anyone come back and say, um, you know, thank you for a save two times. I've, I've been, I've been sued by a person I saved. Were you really? <laughs> Yes, I was sued by a person who would be eating salads for the roots up if I hadn't done some pretty fancy airway management, um, and and he sued me. Yeah, that's interesting. We have to talk about yeah. that. But I've had on two two occasions. Uh, I've delivered a baby on the side of the road, and I delivered a baby in a Burger King. Um, they brought the baby back. That I got to meet the baby after. That's a pretty cool. Months. Yeah, but no one had ever come back. But. Um, we're going to have to save that uh, you getting sued story 
because uh, yeah. I think that that's going to be something. We'll start that. We'll start off next show with that. So remind us as we go. Let's talk about Kelly Grayson getting sued uh-huh. by a save. But I know that you are excited because you're getting ready to head off on your mm-hmm. uh, smoke and noise and hunt vacation. And I don't want to keep you any mm-hmm. longer than I have to. So let's go ahead and do this thing and get up on out of here. That's right. Uh, before I head off, I'd like to tell you guys, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us your comments, concerns, questions, and thoughts at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>